0: It's never a good sign when you resign from the position you were hired for without ever actually completing a single task toward that end. It's never good when you have to term yourself a distraction to the job that you were hired to do, but in what feels like a bit of a mirror of what we saw with Urban Meyer trying to hire strength coach Chris Doyle, who resigned one day later saying he didn't want to be a distraction to what they are building... We are now hearing the exact same language from Art Bryles. You just heard it in the Sports Center. I feel that my presence would be a distraction. In a statement, Pete Thammel of ESPN reporting that he will no longer be the offensive coordinator at Grambling State under Hugh Jackson. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, SiriusXM, Channel80. Fitz, uh, I want to say I'm not surprised by this, and I'm not, I guess I'm just surprised when people continue to make the decisions that they do in these hirings without internally appearing to have a clue of just how much the backlash will be, just how to handle that backlash, and to be able to come forward with a straight face and say, we vetted him, we feel good about it, this is gonna work out and then very clearly not be able to handle what follows. It, it, it The pattern has been established, and why the hubris is there from certain schools or coaches to believe that they're immune to it is the part that actually does surprise me a bit at this point.
1: Yeah, for me, you know, I keep looking at this saying hiring him in the first place never made sense. Firing him right now, once you made the decision to hire him, also doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like, If you're Baylor, you had to have thought all this out. You had to be ready for this backlash. in my Baylor mind, or Grambling? Sorry, Grambling. Sorry. Uh, yep. if you're, if Baylor you're didn't think stage, anything out. Right. That's been clear. Yeah. That That's fair. Uh, you had to think all of this through before you ever made this decision, if you're a huge action or if you're Grambling Say Either way, you had to know that this backlash was coming. And I keep thinking about the fact that now he just steps away and says, I don't want to be a distraction And we don't actually get any real answers either. Like there has to still be accountability from Hugh Jackson and from the university on what they were thinking, because at this point they have to answer for not only why they hired him, but also why they hired him and didn't anticipate this level of backlash coming from everybody. Like, Ultimately, is it a good thing that he won't be leading young men? Yes, I believe it is a good thing. But I also have to look at it and say we can't let the university, the coach, or anybody else that was a part of this hiring practice off as easy as just saying, okay, now we're square. No, it doesn't work that way. You still did what you did, and you need to answer for it across the process of what you were thinking of. And and to turn around and just pull the plug on it now even is more – it makes it make less sense to me.
0: Well, the fact that they would be willing to dissolve under the pressure, if they truly didn't anticipate it, this is the answer. The, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is whether they thought to themselves, we're willing to undergo a bit of backlash early on because we think somehow it's worth it in the end. Uh, and if that's, if that's the approach that they took and they were just shocked to discover the backlash was worse than anticipated, shame on them for not fully understanding the situation. If they said, you know, uh, he's so worthwhile to the program, then you'd think they would fight through all of this in order to maintain him. I think one of the issues, fits is that this became not just about the school and Hugh Jackson and their decision, but it started to result in people diving into Hugh Jackson's foundation and how much money it gives away versus how much it pays its employees. Uh, he put out a statement with the foundation that the school then put out their own statement saying, was not their statement and did not apply to the university or anyone other than Hugh and his foundation. So now the rift is between Hugh and the school. So a lot of this comes into play when they decide it's not worth it. Uh, And Nicole Auerbach had some straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless on Twitter because Dennis Dodd of CBS, um, Said two teams now, pro and college, have not done their homework in regards to hiring Art Bryles. Hamilton of the CFL and Grambling, you don't announce that hire without doing proper due diligence and or consulting superiors. And Nicole said, it's not due diligence. It's assuming you'll get away with it as long as you ride out a brief wave of bad publicity. Don't forget Southern Miss tried to hire Art Bryles too. These schools and organizations always claim they vetted him and done their due diligence, which means they listen to him and folks around him, claim he's a scapegoat who did didn't do anything wrong. Fitz, I brought this up when we first talked about the hiring. It reminds me so much of Jameis Winston and the NFL. The idea that they said, we fully vetted him, we talked to 40 plus people, and then folks said, did you talk to the woman who accused him of rape? Did you talk to any of these people associated with any of the incidents that came up on his record? And of course the answer was no. We talked to his friends and his coaches and his family. And that's what this always feels like. You're going to find the people that give you the answers you're looking for so that you can make this decision, and then in this case, you're gonna have to tuck your tail between your legs a couple days later and realize you've already caused so much damage with zero payoff. Didn't coach a single practice.
1: But then there's zero. Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. There's zero accountability if it just ends there. Like if we really want this. Cycle, oh no, they're gonna be
0: held accountable. Do you? Think I, mean, so? I mean, I mean, how much do you think another? Do you think another place is gonna hire him? He's gonna at least have to either wait again for another stretch for someone to say we we have the hubris to believe that we won't be No no no, you know, no we'll get through this.
1: I don't mean accountability for our prios. I mean accountability for Grambling and for Hugh Jackson. Like at some point you have to answer for the process that led you to the coach that now you're away from right. in the process oh, of will. a week. Like, that's yeah. where, you know, I, I think the first time Hugh Jackson comes out and speaks after this, there are going to be a lot of questions that I think need to be deep uh, deep dive, right? We, we've got to start looking into the layers that got us here from Grambling standpoint, too, as they say, hey, we vetted him and we, we ran through our process. Now anybody that is around the Grambling program has the right to ask really serious questions about what that process looked like because how can you vet somebody and then a week later decide you no longer back them? Like that, The two worlds cannot – there's no way for all of this to come together. So there has to be some divide in the decision-making process, and that's why, in my mind, if we want this to stop, then even though he never made it to a single game, there still has to be accountability to the people at Grambling State that made the decision to allow him to come in even for a day.
0: I think that's what's happening right now, Fitz. I think what they've undergone undergone since they made the announcement is that walking through the fire of having to own up to the choices that they've made. And I think Hugh Jackson has only heard the, be- the, the beginning of it. Because like I said, I believe there's a rift now between him and the school because of the statement that he put out through his foundation that then required them to follow up and say, we do not stand by that. That is not our statement. Now, part of what that statement said is... It defends that the foundation has been dedicated to fighting against sexual abuse, Uh, exploitation racial and social bias that they understand the the role that coaches have and that they believed that the hiring of coach Briles quote and the well-developed programs we have in place this hire will be instrumental in teaching others the importance of knowing how to prevent victimization proper reporting procedures provide adequate resources to individuals who've been victimized and develop strong law enforcement partnerships within the community okay so they're trying to sell us on Hugh Jackson hiring him with a mind to teaching others how to not recreate the disasters at Baylor But then it follows with hiring Coach Bryles as a testament to forgiveness, redemption, and enlightenment. And in redemption, it says, quote, going from surviving an experience into thriving through new experiences require restoration of faith and an opportunity for improvement. So now they've made Bryles a victim, right? He survived. He survived the experience, right? And then at the end, they asked that folks should support Coach Bryles because, it re-victimizes and re-traumatizes people if they make statements that they don't believe to be accurate. So now they're erasing people who want to hold them accountable by holding up the victims as the reason. It's really gross.
1: Well, and all of this comes on a coach in Hugh Jackson that has yet to coach a single game, right? Like, I mean, he was hired at the end of 2021. So we are early on in the tenure year for Hugh Jackson, and this, if I'm grambling, I'm looking around saying, man, we brought you in to try and elevate the, the the team, also elevate the platform, bring more attention to it, but attention means positive attention. This is the worst kind of attention. Hugh Jackson, shame on him for bringing our brows in in the first place, but also shame on, on everybody involved in this process for not thinking that there would be backlash. I wonder how many questions Hugh Jackson is answering behind the scenes at this point, and grambling's yep. got to be asking themselves already if it's ever been worth it
0: completely agree straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless no contract no compromise spain and Fitz presented by progressive insurance save when you bundle auto home or motorcycle insurance visit progressive.com coming up next i will continue to fight through my foo fighters party voice and my apologies i tried to out dave grohl he won uh we're gonna get into baseball just over four and a half hours to get a deal done to save opening day it's next Well, I guess we're going to find out just how close MLB and the Players Association are tonight based on whether or not they continue working into the wee hours of the final day of the month of February, because if they do not find some sort of deal tonight, opening day is off, and if they aren't even close, they'll probably shut it up pretty soon and not work well into midnight and beyond. If they know that they've got days weeks months ahead of them Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain Jason Fitz ESPN radio ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80. We're gonna talk MLB, but I want to quickly point out uh, Dan Murphy from ESPN just had a thread uh, talking to the head of Hugh Jackson's foundation at Dan Murphy ESPN is where you can find it. Um, It's worth a read. Uh, It involves that head of the foundation uh, arguing that uh, Art Bryles did nothing wrong. And never had any reason to have to be forgiven, wasn't guilty, uh, and uh, just read it, Fitz. I mean, uh, everyone needs. It's it's kind of awe inspiring that someone who would be in the position that she is, doing the work that she does, would have that to say. And again, it's the the stuff that comes along with putting your neck out on the line for someone who is not deserving of that chance, and then having to pay the price, even if in the end that guy doesn't do a single thing for your program.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be interesting now because the foundation is in is under a microscope. So let's see uh, mm-hmm. how Hugh Jackson, Grambling, and everybody else enjoys that portion of this process because that's not going to end.
0: Unbelievable. Uh, so let's get back to baseball. As I said, uh, if they do not reach an agreement tonight, opening day is canceled, and we start working into regular season games that aren't happening for baseball. And Jeff Passan uh, has been very outspoken all along about this. He was on Greeny today with Mike Greenberg talking about how... You know, understanding the context that the last time baseball went through this, the owners won everything. It was a terrible loss for the players. And as they try to get back some of what was lost then and reestablish something fair with an ownership that has been reaping all of the rewards and not paying it down, uh, this is the place that we found ourselves in.
2: The reality is very simple. Major League Baseball has an incredible economic system for the owners, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just very good the way that it is right now because they don't have to spend anything. A team could have a payroll with 26 minimum salaried players, and that would be legal under the framework that they have. So – MLB is a good business right now and they're trying to squeeze every little last bit out of the players that they can. And frankly, uh, this whole thing is unnecessary, unfortunate, and, and the blame while not going entirely in one direction, certainly, uh, is at the feet of the owners and of the league.
0: Yeah. Fitz, I think that's a huge part of it. And, you know, I I think people, the longer this goes on, tend to turn against the players. Um, and I, I think that's laziness of not looking into the specifics that include the fact that the middle class is not getting paid because not enough teams are trying to win. So they're not willing to battle for free agents and spend the dollars that guys are stuck on teams that they know have zero interest in fighting. And they're going to spend 162 games playing for, you know, a tiny amount of wins. And, and, and then, you know, between service time manipulation and rookie deals, like there's any number of ways that it's set up so poorly and the folks who just see the biggest contracted guys and think that that's what it is to be a baseball player are missing the biggest fighting points here.
1: Yeah. A thousand percent. But this is also the way these negotiations go, right? Like I always look at it and say, you know, it feels like corporations are going to try and take advantage of employees in these collective bargaining situations. And, and then there's always going to be a mindset that the employees were all crack once a minute, once they start missing checks, like these are all things, whether it's baseball or whether it's just any other uh, company that I feel like happens all the time in in this negotiation. The difference here is that there are people that just spend their entire life rooting for these teams with so much passion that it hits everybody differently. And, and you know, the question is, does Major League Baseball, do the owners actually care about that portion of it? Because this is the way, it, in my mind, it feels like this is how negotiations work. And from a very logical and non-emotional place, I can see the uh, both sides of why they're They are where they are. It's just when you put the emotion of fandom in, the question is then, does Major League Baseball actually care about the emotion of fandom? If they do, they work harder to get something done. If they don't, then they squeeze every bit of juice out of the orange that they possibly can.
0: Yeah, and it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I also think um, there's this element of, if you acknowledge and and understand the ways that the man, the quote-unquote man, the ownership, is not properly paying for the labor you yourself and you me anybody else who's complaining about the players holding out may have to reconcile that you yourself are not being properly you know what I mean that a lot of the people don't want to have to actually acknowledge um, that the system is kind of messed up in a lot of ways in terms of the very rich getting richer and so it's easier to um, complain about the greed of both sides than to recognize that patterns that are happening across mm. many more things than just sport are playing out here. And, and to understand that you might be victim to that as well, that's a difficult thing to actually acknowledge. Uh, Buster only was on Jay Will, uh, Keyshawn Jay Will, and max this morning. And he said something that really stood out to me and I actually called him afterwards to get more context on it. Cause I wanted to understand what it meant for the continued negotiations and You know, the underlying thing here is that a lot of people have been very disappointed with union representation on the player side. So there is a rift between a lot of the players and their representation, in addition to the larger rift between the players association and and the owners. And so while this battle is between the two main sides of the league and the players, there is also this problem of a lot of people not not thinking that the right people are making the right moves on behalf of the players. And that's setting back a couple years, which has really frustrated ownership who don't feel like they're working with and negotiating with people of the caliber that previously uh, used to represent the players. And so with that coming in to the very beginning of this lockout, a lot of folks thought, this is going to last a long time, not just because of what the players gave up last time and how much ground they have to make up from that, but because the negotiations have been so bad throughout for the last couple years in general, that when it's going to come down to these meetings, it's going to get ugly. And this is what Buster said, an agent said about the owner's perspective right from the beginning.
2: The night of December 1st, when the lockout went into effect, getting a text from a longtime agent who told me he told his players, and I think I told you guys about this, he sent them a note, said, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Easter. Uh, I will talk to you on Flag Day, which is June 14th. And that is the nuclear option for baseball. And that might be what's in place soon.
0: That's a lot. That's that's a long time.
1: It is. If it gets it right, though, like this is where I'm not trying to be all hot takey here, but like I hear all of this gloom and doom for the end of everything. Like it's going to be the worst thing ever. Is it like? I keep thinking about what we went through during COVID and the the, uh, the players and the owners not being able to get on the same page on games being played and everybody yelling at everybody else. And I sat there at the time and thought, God, baseball will never recover. And it was fine. Like, it, it just feels like the diehards need to, to sit back and understand that they got to get it worked out. And the casuals will be there when it comes back as long as the storylines are interesting. Like, I realize that's oversimplification. But I, I just don't buy the gloom and doom. If, if it takes them until Flag Day to get it right to the point that then we don't have to deal with these negotiations constantly,
0: I don't think that's the worst thing. I agree with you in terms of I think the players need to hold strong. And that's yeah. going to be very difficult. <laughs> but uh, but I think they do because they can't, they can't afford to have another slide in the direction of, of ownership. There's also some interesting dates. And our producer, Tara, reminded us that if the lockout goes past a certain day in April – that they will miss the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And there are certain yeah. moments like that, that will just yeah, in terms of public perception be really difficult. And it's one piece of a much larger issue, but I I certainly do not share the optimism that you have, that the sport will be relatively untouched, that people will come back, that it won't affect it. I think baseball is in a very different place this time around than the last time this happened. And it needed some real saving last time, some steroids and some home runs and some records that <laughs> I don't know if those are even possible. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the game is is already struggling in other weird and different ways. Uh, it's just it's a different situation this time. All right, speaking of different situations, uh, Lakers getting booed by home fans during the Mets of another big L. We'll talk about it next. Spain
1: and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're short tonight. Tune in tonight. College basketball action. Texas hosting Baylor. Coverage begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You do not want to miss that. does mean you get a little less of us. I know you're sad, but it's always incredible to get to listen to some college basketball action. Speaking of which, college basketball season heating up. That means the Wendy's Wooden watch has begun. Go to ESPN.com, search Wooden Watch for the list of the Wooden Award nominees to watch as this season rolls on. Every day is game day with Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of the NCAA. Choose wisely, choose Wendy's, and that is a delightful, delightful breakfast. I'm not going to lie about it. Uh, that that breakfast gives me all of the good feels. Uh, Sarah, I don't know if the Lakers have any good feels. Uh, I, I think if you'd ask me going into the season of things we would never predict, LeBron being booed at home and uh, everybody going off on the Lakers would not be on the list of things I would predict would happen
0: yeah uh, I think Dave McMenamin might tell us though whether or not it was LeBron or if it was just Russell Westbrook taking the L's for everybody like (laughs) was was was, were the Lakers fans are they fed up with everyone or was it all directed right at Russ
2: oh Sarah and it's it's everyone should get it right now and it's it's not just LeBron it's not just Russ, I mean DeAndre Jordan got a, a ton of booze for his outlet pass. He sailed out of bounds. And, uh, <laughs>
0: Can you and believe he was already, waived?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Just about to say that. that's that's his send off. Uh, you know, oh. he's going to no longer be part of the the Lakers. They're going to wave him and bring in DJ Augustine. Of course, they've had a need for a reliable backup point guard ever since they traded away Rajon Rondo. Uh, for a second-round pick to Cleveland. And that was kind of, if you look back at it now, it was uh, right around the new year, uh, late December. That was kind of the first sign that this thing wasn't working, that the roster they put together full of all these veteran players that had Laker experience in their past, it it, it just wasn't looking the way they wanted, they wanted it to. And right now it doesn't look anywhere close to the way they wanted it to. Of course, let's recognize that Anthony Davis, has been out with with two really unfortunate injuries that are not injury prone type injuries they you know he had someone thrown into his leg and he also landed on a, a 7 foot 1 man when he came down uh against the Utah Jazz like those are things out of your control but that said when you have a top 5 payroll in the league and Laker fans are paying a pretty penny to get into Crypto.com Arena. Like You understand the frustration that, that, that they're sharing when they saw an effort like they did last night.
1: In five years, Dave, when they look back at the Lakers' failure that's happening right now, who gets the blame?
2: You know, it'll probably fall on LeBron, because that's something that when we look at careers in totality, just because of how much success he's had, you remember the times where it doesn't work out. Um, no one's going to be like, "Well, oh, Russell Westbrook, your your record was you know X and X, and you only made the you know Russell Westbrook made the finals once in his career. No one expects him to do it. And Anthony Davis made the finals once in his career because he was teammates with LeBron James. Uh, this will fall on LeBron. It won't be fair because it won't really tell the story. But you know the human brain only has capacity to remember so much with all the data thrown our way
0: every, every day. In Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Dave McMenamin with us. I want to get back to the the leadership around there and the, and some of the politics, but I quickly just want to ask if you can explain what we've seen from Russ, the drop-off. Can you explain it?
2: No. I mean, other than to say that in the last several seasons playing for Houston, playing for Washington, this was the trend where, He struggled to start the year and then something clicked and he played much better ball and and the team played much better ball. Last year, the Washington wizards were 17 and 32 at one point and ended up making the play in and Russell Westbrook for the second half of the season, averaged a triple double ended up averaging a triple double for the, the entire season. We haven't seen that shift within him for a brief moment. It looked like he was, um, after he was benched in the fourth quarter for the first time this season against the Indiana Pacers by Frank Vogel, they went on a six game road trip and, and Russell Westbrook's play looked like it was getting back on the right track. Um, But since then, you know, it was a a small sample size and he hasn't been able to sustain it. I think there's a, a comfort factor that he doesn't have having the ball in his hand as much as he's accustomed to the rest of his career because LeBron's his teammate. And, Quite frankly, he turns the ball over too much, and he doesn't shoot the ball well enough from the outside to be an effective guard. Getting the amount of minutes and the amount of responsibilities that he gets in this league, like he's not holding up his end of the bargain. Uh, to be literally, he's the highest paid player on the Lakers.
0: Yeah, like, and he's to getting, coming back for that money next year.
2: To a guy, yeah. I yeah, heard someone joke he that LeBron's I mean, going to make go, a Space Jam 3 off, yeah. just
0: so we can send him more money to go away. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll pay you to be in Space Jam 3 if you just leave and don't come back next year for the Lakers contract. My God. Uh, I,
1: I, I wouldn't blame him for coming back for that. Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter, joining us, Spain and Fitz. So give me the, the best realistic case scenario this season for the Lakers.
2: I, I would say the best case scenario right now would be They find a way to get into the playing tournament. Anthony Davis comes back healthy and ready to play late in the regular season. Uh, They get into the playoffs as he is the seventh or eighth seed. And whichever team they play, be it Golden State or Phoenix, because I believe those two teams will be the top two seeds, Phoenix doesn't have Chris Paul back and Golden State doesn't have Draymond Green back, and I hope for an upset. I mean, that's best case scenario the uh, you know, worst-case scenario would just be missing the play-in completely. Or I don't even know. Maybe the worst-case scenario for them right now would be making the play-in and losing to the Clippers <laughs> in the oh. play-in scenario because that would not sit well uh, w- with the people who run the Lakers. That's for sure.
0: Spain and Fitz talking to Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter. All right, let's get into the politics because there is this sort of feeling of, are you aligning with LeBron and Clutch and all of the clients that are a part of that world? Are you aligning with the late Kobe Bryant and and his agent and and what, what he's doing with the team? Are you aligning with the Rambuses? Are you aligning with Jeannie Buss? And all of that is playing out. Do you see this as really a power struggle uh, between LeBron and, and members of the front office as much as anything else? else
2: no I, I don't see it as a power struggle because uh, LeBron's made it clear no matter what he said in the press uh, he's made it clear through his his agents and his, his representatives that he wants to remain with Los Angeles Lakers and so uh, the Lakers know that they know that they have the commitment from him and he's under contract and so yeah, but not LeBron, mentioning
0: Palinka, I guess I mean. When he when he makes that statement and he shouts out everybody at the organization and leaves out Palinka, does that indicate that this is about a power struggle between him and Palinka maybe? I,
2: I I don't think I would use the term power struggle. I think LeBron has tried to exert his will on the roster the way he has in the past and it caused general managers to act um he let it be known prior to the trade deadline that he did not feel like the team that they had currently constructed was going to be able to compete with a team like the bucks who are the defending champions. And so if the person in charge has said repeatedly that, that he is obsessed with winning championships, um, that's what Rob Plink has said at Russell Westbrook's uh, opening press conference. That's what he said um, in another press conference over the over the offseason, speaking to reporters based in L.A., if that is the case, if you're obsessed with it and your superstar lets it be known that, hey, we don't have a championship roster, one would think there would be some pressure to change things up to make it a championship roster. And so I don't know if you want to term that a power struggle. I would term it um, LeBron James, letting it be known and trying to exert some pressure uh, in order to get The team where he believes it should be at.
1: I mean, but in theory, Dave, and I know we got to let you go, but like you referenced it there. Like a lot of this roster and the way we're constructed right now was partially because of LeBron's mindset. So now the Lakers got to blow the whole thing up and rebuild it under LeBron's mindset so that it'll be different this time? Like that feels like the definition of insanity.
2: I don't know about that. Isn't the definite insanity doing the same thing expecting different results? Yeah, but if they're going to be. You want something different.
1: Yeah, but if they're going to bow down to whatever LeBron thinks he wants this roster to be, give up everything in their future again, just to assemble a bunch of guys together again like they did this year that may or may not be great, like, is that the right way for the Lakers to do this?
2: Fitz, what happened in
1: 2020? Uh, Okay, yeah, but what happened in this year? I mean, Well, I mean,
2: okay, so you win one out of every three years, that's a pretty good bargain, I'd say. So, How many other teams are doing that?
1: I mean, do you believe the the Lakers this offseason can listen to LeBron and build a championship roster that will be better than everybody in the NBA right now?
2: They better listen to LeBron. They better listen to other people that they employ that know the NBA and have the gravitas and have the wherewithal and have the ability to make things happen to get them back to a championship level if that's what they claim they're about. Because – LeBron James can only do so much as a player. He can offer his input as a stakeholder is the term that Rob Palinka likes to use. That's great. And then guess what? Like Rob Palinka has to do a good job and Kurt Rambis has to do a good job. And Jeannie Buss has to commit financial uh, big time money in order to make these things happen. Um, They all got to do their job the right way, LeBron included.
1: You guys can follow him on Twitter, at McTen. As always, we appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for the insight. Thanks, Dave.
2: Of course, you got it.
1: Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter. All right, we got a bunch of NFL stories to get to, so we'll get you some NFL quickies next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM, Channel 80. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance, offering coverage options as unique as your business Progressive covers companies in many sizes and specialties. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. I don't know if you saw this, but before we move on to the NFL, obviously the biggest matchup of the weekend, Brooklyn taking on the Bucks in Milwaukee. Kyrie with 38 points. Brooklyn pulls off the big comeback win, 126-123 over Milwaukee. Absolutely great work uh, by Kyrie in that game. Just a reminder of how uh, amazing the Nets can be when he's on that way. Uh, absolutely on fire. And uh, it gave us a little, a, a little, it gave me a little bit of hope, sir. Uh, that you know uh, that that Nets-Bucks series that I think we're going to get in the playoffs is going to be worth watching. You know, it depends. Just depends on which games you know Kyrie can play
0: and in which he can't. I'm just. I mean, I that was it. cool and all, but did you see James Harden fall into the bench? Because that was my kind of basketball. <laughs> the most oh, athletic, talented dudes in the world, and there's always going to be clips like that. That's amazing.
1: That's a that's your Monday roundup brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. We've got a couple of NFL stories we want to get to, so we're going to get them to you the way only we can. It's time for some quickies. Sarah, I'm going to start you with one you didn't even know I was bringing up, right? I'm going to Uh-oh. be partying in Canton, Ohio, because they told us who the, uh, the the Hall of Fame game it's going to be that juggernaut matchup everybody's waiting for in the preseason: Jags Raiders to start it all oh off. In God, the Jags,
0: the Jags. That's the how they want to welcome back football with an, a, a, an approximation of football. Yeah, I mean that's
1: the, somebody sat in a room and decided. You know what we need? We need Jags Raiders at the Hall of Fame game to give us all of the feels. For the uh, the beginning of football season, but you know, it gives me a reason to party in Canton. I figure, like that's a, that's a good reason for me yeah. to go to Canton cool, and tear cool, some things Yeah, up. check it out. First time yeah, going, right? Yeah, that'll be my first time. Yeah, for sure. So that's you know, awesome. that I I, I, I I've invited myself. I nobody's inviting me. I'm just <laughs> inviting myself. Uh, let's go to the next story on the list. All right and we've got a uh, retirement and this is a little bit unexpected uh, as uh, Ali Marpet uh, the guard for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has retired. What's interesting this was unexpected of the weekend is he's only 28 years old, Sarah, mm-hmm. and coming off of a Pro Bowl bi- uh, birth. This was a interesting and unexpected development for the Buccaneers and another hole that now needs to be filled on a roster that a few months ago felt like it was going to be able to just, you know, try and get themselves to a Super Bowl and run it back. Now you've got another piece that they've got to replace.
0: Ali Marpet came on our show a while back, really thoughtful and interesting dude. Who's been a part of some really important social justice and, um, you know, big thinking groups around the league. And he also has an incredible story of coming from, uh, Hobart College in 2015, the highest drafted player at 61st overall mm. in division third history, and then ended up a pro bowler. And so he leaves a huge hole in that offensive line, as you said, he leaves a lot of conversation about a 28 year old who fears so much for his health and safety that he retires at the peak of his powers. Uh, Somebody who, as I mentioned, has served on the Buck Social Justice Advisory Board, met last summer with uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, talks about voting rights, is a, a strong, loud voice for a lot of things in the NFL and elected to save that big brain of his and move on. And that also leaves some people thinking, no way Tom Brady's coming back to an already... Weakened offensive line that now lost a pro bowler uh so whether that has any has any influence on on tom brady it certainly will on whoever the quarterback next is for the bucks
1: well and i think you make an important point too about somebody with the intelligence that he has and the the mindset to do more that he has he's made a lot of money in his lifetime but I don't ever want to reduce it when somebody decides to walk away from a yeah. lot of money. You're talking about somebody mm-hmm. that this year, according to Track, was set to make just under $13 million. Next year, also set to make $13 million. That's a lot of cash to walk away from, and it just speaks to something that we see more now than we've ever seen before in the NFL, and that's players looking around saying, hey, I know I can make more, but I've got plenty. So I'm going to be good, and I'm going to walk away while I still have my health and while I still feel good about where I am in life. Uh, let's go to the next story. Kyler Murray in the news this morning. We all woke up to the war and peace of statements. I mean, it was a uh, what like it was a little mini novel as Kyler Murray's agent went to social media to release a statement saying that the quarterback essentially really wants to be in Arizona as long as they make a huge commitment to him and makes it clear that Kyler Murray is out right now looking to get paid and wants that bag as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. It was very long. Uh, it ended up resulting in a lot of the, uh, you know, too long, did not read responses or uh, <laughs> I ain't going to read all that, but I'm happy for you or sorry. Uh, sorry that happened to you or I'm happy for you. Um, yeah, it it's, uh, it's an interesting tactic. And I heard a couple different professional athletes on our airwaves today, Jay Williams, one of them, and Dan Orlovsky, the other, talking about the questionable approach and how it might be seen by teammates. Here's Dan Orlovsky on Get Up.
3: It's an interesting way about going, going about business, I'll say that. And it's very indifferent to – my brain goes back to how Dak Prescott and his team handled their business. And obviously it, it paid off for them with their patience and the way they carried themselves
0: fits there are many ways to go about this and to get what you want. So I don't know that it's a black and white thing where you have to go the way Dak did. But I do think it's interesting to put all of that information in that statement, to offer up all of that. I don't hear anyone downgrading the the, the skills of Kyler, really. I think most people are aware of his value. Most people are aware of any quarterback's value. And they gave up a lot uh, to get him a year after going out and, and not succeeding with, with the Josh Rosen pick. Um, so I, I wonder if it's just a little premature in terms of the timing of them figuring out the rest of their cap space situation and free agents. Um, you know, that 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 part was interesting to me, the people who didn't like the approach. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm choking over here. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, I think what's interesting
1: to me, though, is the other side of it is he has so much leverage right now. Like, there are so few options this year in the draft. If you're Arizona and there's any part of you that's not happy, what else are you going to do? Like, right. This is his opportunity to come in and say, hey, guys, I want to get paid right now. And there are so many teams that are desperate for a quarterback. I think it's an aggressive attempt for him to say, I want to cash in today. And what's interesting is that next year's draft class is so good right now. Today, we think a quarterback that I wonder if you're Kyler Murray and you think there's any hint of doubt, make him commit right now so you can go get yours and you can avoid having any opportunity to go out, play this season, and then suddenly feel like next year maybe you know they're not as committed coach or quarterback and all of a sudden your future is a little right. bit in doubt. So he's going to go out and get his.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that it's a bold move and he might end up getting everything he wants, but you also run the risk of setting yourself up as someone who people think has a certain attitude, certain approach, certain, you know, there there are question marks and who knows the leaks that came out of that team, how valid that actually was or whether that was trying to undercut his value elsewhere. But you do have to worry about that perception.
1: Yeah, and one of the my favorite former players... Uh, the network that I've ever worked with, said a long time ago that his body language was a problem for him. And I keep thinking about that every time I watch it. Like, there are still some questions, but he's obviously looking to answer those by getting them paid, which will answer everything. We need questions answered about Major League Baseball and what's next, so we'll talk to one of our favorite experts, Spain and Fitz, on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Countdown is on for baseball as the clock continues to tick. After midnight tonight, there will be no hope of saving opening day. How close are they? Are they going to work through the night to try to get there, or are we looking at the regular season games now being affected by this lockout. It's Spain and Fitz Air, Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now, ESPN MLB writer June Lee. I want to get to the lockout, but real quick, we just heard in the update about Derek Jeter and the Marlins. We haven't touched on it yet tonight. What's your big takeaway from that split?
3: Uh, I'm I'm curious, kind of moving forward, once you get kind of more information about the departure, about what the role of the so current lockout in the financial state of the game has played in Derek Jeter's decision. I mean, the reports, according to you know the report from Alden Gonzalez at ESPN.com earlier today, says that uh, Jeter had kind of a, a rift with, with o- the rest of ownership, wanting a bigger stake, um, and the team not wanting to put more money into uh, the team's payroll over the course of the next season. And so I, I think that there's probably an instinctive kind of Derek Jeter wanting to compete level to this. Um, but it does seem that there was an interesting power dynamic, and it was notable to see players uh, on the Marlins tweet out today uh, in support of Jeter. Uh, and so I, I think that there is a brewing um, you know, kind of situation there between ownership and players and whether or not that team actually wants to compete, which I think is actually emblematic of the entire reason why we're in this lockout situation in the first place. I mean, there has been a stance on the players' side uh, of that team's not – teams not wanting to compete and kind of coasting off of the shared revenue that they receive from league and from TV money. Uh, and the players are currently in a position to want to change that in this in this very moment by making the league more competitive and incentivizing teams to spend more money on their payroll.
1: Yeah, so June, give everybody a little bit of an insight on that. I mean, for all the com- conversation about competitiveness and the lack thereof for some teams, how would what the players want actually address that?
3: So there currently is this situation where the average salary for a major league player has come down. And also the middle class of the player, where guys who maybe spend seven years in the big leagues get through arbitration and aren't Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, these guys who are going to get hundreds of millions of dollars on the open market, uh, aren't getting paid as much anymore because the way that the financial system of baseball now works, it makes much more sense if – for, for teams who want to maximize their revenue to basically just use cheap guys from the minor leagues uh, who are getting paid a mi- at, the, at the minimum or a little bit above the minimum uh, to use those guys instead of paying kind of these veterans. Uh, and as a result, uh, you're seeing teams kind of maximizing profits and choosing that over, you know, trying to build the best team possible on the field. And uh, with the way that the luxury tax is currently structured, a lot of teams are using that as a salary cap Uh, in in a soft way versus what its intention was, uh, which is just to make kind of penalize teams that were going over that, which teams have been willing to do in the past, but in recent years has kind of dwindled down. And as a result, the players are seeing uh, less money despite putting in time in the major leagues, which is why the players have been so stubborn about wanting to make sure that they get the best deal possible. And they haven't really budged a lot on their negotiating stance over the course of the last couple of months.
0: You know, June, and we're talking to June Lee here on Spain and Fitz, earlier Fitz sort of said, if it lasts into June, if it lasts into flag day, as Buster Olney told us, an agent uh, suggested, um, the fans will be back. Baseball will survive. He doesn't see the sky falling. Other people disagree, and they just think baseball's not in a position now to survive or or maybe thrive after that. How how serious do you think it is? Because we throw that out every time. And I wonder if, if you've been able to calculate it all, really the, the cost, if, if it goes well into the, the summer.
3: I think it falls somewhere in the middle, Sarah. I think it's not necessarily the sport of baseball is going to be dead in America forever. Like, I, I think that's kind of unrealistic, just given the fact that there is an established fan base and people who love baseball, despite... A labor fight. Who are going to come back and watch those games, and you know, buy hot dogs in the summer at Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium. But I do think that it's going to cement baseball's place as the third sport in the hierarchy of sports within America, behind football and basketball. Because, you know, the casual fan. You know, I'm 26 years old. A lot of people my age don't watch baseball in the same way that they used to, uh, because of the pace of the game and the fact that players aren't on social media and the game isn't marketed towards them. Um, and, and that baseball is trying to maximize the money that it makes off of its aging demographic, older people who still have cable and haven't been catering to people who, you know, are watching games on their phones, uh, restricting social media highlights. Um, all these small things that add up towards right. you know, baseball struggling to capture not the hardcore fan, but the casual fan who likes baseball. And maybe will go to a couple games in summer or or you know, potentially could become a bigger fan if they're given the opportunity to invest in the sport and baseball just hasn't catered to them. And so I think it's a situation where baseball isn't in, in a position where it's going to die off forever. I think that's a little dramatic. But I do think that it, it will cement itself as a third sport in America um, and and lose a lot of the casual fans that it has in the periphery who might be 50-50 on caring about the sport at all in the first place.
1: So, June, a lot of what you just referenced – are the things we complain about all the time? With how do you, how do you fix baseball? Right, and and I feel all of them to my core because everything you're talking about <laughs> is stuff that I wish that baseball did. Right? Is there anything through this collective bargaining process that will actually address those types of issues, though?
3: I mean, at the current moment, they're trying to max. The players are trying to maximize the salaries that they make off of the the kind of revenue that the that the sport's been making. You know, the owners have put out a lot of talk around. Um, you know, how they've quote-unquote lost money. But if you look at the way that ticket sales have gone, the way that, you know, TV money has gone, uh, that hasn't been true. You know, I think it's part of just generally baseball's holistic strategy of trying to maximize the profit over anything else. And the players are trying to kind of take away back some of that power in order to shift the power dynamics. And I think reframing the game uh, in a way, and I think Jeff Passan did an incredible job in his column today about reminding the league and all the fans and the business of baseball that there is no game without the players and without the players without marking the players there's no reason to care about baseball at all and so you know i think on the surface it's easy to frame this as a billionaires versus millionaire situation where they're fighting over money but i think they're really fighting over the soul of the game and the way that uh, america frames its thinking around baseball and, and the way that the league frames its thinking about making money off of the sport and whether or not you know, they're thinking about the game's future and its survival and its growth, future growth in America over you know, making profits in the next five to 10 years.
0: June Lee is with us here. ESPN MLB writer on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. June, quickly before we let you go, I want to ask, because I think we reduce it down to, okay, the players are going to just eventually have to decide whether they're willing to wait out the losses in salary and games and everything else, um, as long as owners, who obviously don't have the limitations of career length and everything else and have more money. Um, but I think also there are some hints that the players will also have to, who weighed out the infighting of their own frustration with their representation in the union and things like that. How much do you think that will end up playing a role in this is just a a less unified front potentially from the players and their representation?
3: Well, I I think that dynamic has shifted a little bit from the last negotiation to this one, because the players uh, brought in Bruce Meyer, who's a kind of notable litigation collective bargaining attorney uh, to negotiate on the front of the union versus Tony Clark being kind of the lead person who's kind of set the tone of the negotiations uh, the last time around. Uh, and so, you know, I think there is this kind of looming factor of whether or not the players are going to be willing to wait this out. And I think Passon said this earlier today too, where, you know, there are some players who are going to be willing to sit out this entire season at, at high levels of positions of strength uh, of power rather uh, in the union in order to make sure that future players uh, are kind of compensated fairly and paid earlier in their career um, to set up the, the kind of financial stability for a lot of, you know, kind of middle-class baseball players. Um, and the question is whether or not the owners are willing to wait out, you know, the potential dep- the kind of large, bigger picture depreciation of the franchise value because there are no games versus wanting to pay the players. And it's, Going to be, you know, who, who blinks first when, when it comes to that fight? Are the players going to be willing to blink first when they're losing kind of tangible salary on a, on a week-to-week basis? Or is it going to be the owners in the big picture who are losing money on the value of their franchise, uh, which is ultimately how a lot of these billionaires make their money off of these baseball teams?
0: Yeah. Oh, gosh, this is so frustrating as we all want baseball back, but we also understand that the, the players are in a position that they sort of have to stand strong. Uh, June, thanks so much for the insight. Really appreciate it. Thanks, June.
3: Of course. Thanks for having me on.
0: ESPN MLB writer June Lee with us here on Spain and Fitz. Coming up, the latest impact of the Ukraine-Russian conflict on sports. Some interesting stories, including an incredible NFL fandom helping someone out of of danger. It's next. Spain and Fitz on
1: ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. If you're just joining us, shaming you for showing up late, but going to be sad because we're a little short tonight uh coming up next on ESPN radio you'll hear some men's college basketball Baylor at Texas coming up at 8:30. so uh obviously we wanted to get you caught up on the big stuff happening not only uh throughout the course of today but also globally uh, well, I'll start making sure everybody's heard the big news today Sarah Art Bryles is no longer the offensive coordinator of Grambling State that lasted uh, a matter of what about a week uh at this point as a uh as he has stepped down for, as we always hear in these situations, he doesn't want to be a distraction. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what anybody expected. I'm not sure how he thought he would take this job and not be a distraction. I'm not sure how Art, uh, how Hugh Jackson could ever think he could bring him in the building and not be a distraction. I'm not sure how the university felt that they could just hire a coach with the resume that uh, Art Briles has and the things that have happened off the field Uh, that he's been a part of, and think that it won't be not just a distraction, but also something universally absolutely discussed and panned. I don't know how everybody that's supposed to be smart in this process could do things to get us to where we are right now, but he's no longer with the school before he's even – coached a game which to me still means that the university and coach jackson have a lot of questions to answer about Mm -hmm. what their thought process was why they decided it was worth it and now why they decide it's not worth it all in the span of a week
0: yeah and i think we are going to find that even if it's not the top topic of discussion on espn sports center etc that doesn't mean that internally hugh jackson grambling state the head of Fuse Foundation who's going through it, like I said, go go check out um, that thread about it. Uh, Dan Murphy from ESPN posted about it earlier. I think they're all going to have to deal with the fallout of this much longer than perhaps it's the top headline.
1: Yeah, well, and, and, and they should. Uh, that's one thing that, you know, action has consequence, and I'll, I, uh, I, I believe that and uh, there should be consequence for that. In the meantime, there are also stories around the world of sports that are revolving around Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And and I want to be very clear here, obviously, uh, war is something that means more than sports, and we all understand everything that's happening in the world and how heavy and, uh, and, and how important it is. It does have ramifications to the world of sports, and I wanted everybody to be updated on some of those ramifications uh, because uh, we'll start with the WNBA, where uh, uh, several players are currently competing. And for anyone that doesn't know, because the WNBA isn't the financial windfall that you know, it, it's not the cash cow that some people think uh, you know it is. Uh, these players have to go play elsewhere during the course of the rest of the year to make money. And uh, there are uh, WNBA players currently competing in Russia that are now making plans to leave the country because of safety precautions following the invasion of Ukraine. Multiple agents mm. have told the ESPN uh, told ESPN that now the the players are anonymous at this point. They're not revealing. Uh, everybody's names for safety reasons, but there are groups of athletes that are trying to figure out how to get out of Russia right now, Sarah. And that's, uh, it makes sense.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine the fear and we've heard some pretty wild stories. If you ever want to go hear about what it's like to play in Russia, there was an incredible 3430 uh, 30 for 30 podcast about Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird playing out there. And just, it, it's a whole different world. The the world per- particularly of professional women's sports out there and the folks who use, their power and their money and their influence and that's where they choose to spend it um but I, I i fear for them and i heard for them that so many need to go play over there to really make a living because of the way we still don't fund and resource women and, and female athletes um and, and you, you know i think you're right uh, hopefully uh, the anonymous nature of it all helps them be able to get out of there
1: yeah and of, of interest last week i was hanging out with aew uh, the professional wrestling uh, group and they have a woman's wrestler jade cargill Uh, who played basketball uh, played college basketball and went over to europe to play and when i was sitting down just chatting with her about if she misses the game and everything she said you know she was over in europe trying to figure out what was next in her life and looking at the economics of the wnba and all of a sudden somebody was like hey have you ever thought of wrestling and she's like i looked at the economics there and Now she's a prominent uh, wrestler that's making uh, a far better living because the WNBA was not going to provide it for her. So that's just a reality, yeah, for sure. And uh, when you're talking about the ramifications of sports with Russia and Ukraine, uh, FIFA has already stepped in. And I think we expected FIFA would have to do something. They have uh, at this point. Their global governing party and their European uh, counterparts have suspended Russia from international competition uh, as of today, that affects World Cup qualifying, that affects major club competitions, and uh, it comes with all the worldwide pressure uh, on the country to end their invasion of Ukraine. So I'm not surprised to see FIFA do that. I think some people thought it took a little longer than it should have. It did. But at it least took they too have long. taken it. Yeah, but at least they've gotten it, it taken care of.
0: Yeah, it took too long and they had to get shamed into it. And there are still plenty of, of places that are not reacting in the way that the world uh, would would say they should. Um, but it's better late than never. Um, and when you're starting to read about the effect of some of the sanctions uh, economically in Russia, those are very easy to understand. How you put the squeeze on people there, unable to use their credit card to do things like, you know, pay for Netflix or other, you know, Kind of frivolities, and you can view them as such. But the amount of civic pride and and patriotism, and even jingoism that stems from sport, um, it's got a, it's got a lot of power, even in situations like this. And so, you you just can't allow that part to slide, as so many other people are making sacrifices. And uh, it did take FIFA too long, but um, I, that that should move the needle.
1: And UEFA had already moved the Champions UEFA, League final. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know, I I think this is all part of the process that's happening. And we are seeing global athletes right now that are using their platform uh, all over the place, which is, uh, you know, I think important. Uh, it's also interesting because there are there's so much when you start talking about what people deal with over there and you start talking about the danger that some athletes put themselves in by using their platform, uh, it only reminds you how different the world is uh, depending on where your perspective is and where you live in that world. Spain and Fitz, uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, that's not the only sort of interesting, I think, story that came out of this. There is a, uh, a an inspiring moment happening from fandom, and, and it, it's fandom around the Titans, as uh, one Titans fan uh, was struggling to figure out how to get out of Ukraine, and through the process of that, a group of Titans fans decided that they were going to help. And in that... Uh, With the GoFundMe and uh, Cash App donations, Uh, the Titans have helped promote it. The Titans, some Titans players have helped promote it. There's been donations from the team and players around it. They've managed to help save one of their fans, at least in getting out of the country and getting them set up. Uh, As of today, Eddie O'Reilly is in Romania. Uh, it, It has taken a group of Titans fans working together to save one of their own. But that has been a really cool story and a reminder of the power globally of fandom.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's tough to follow solely on Twitter. It, there's some twists and turns, and, and obviously he's also being a little bit vague about all of his whereabouts throughout his efforts to get out with his family, but then you find out that there is a German-based Titans fan group that is welcoming him as he makes his way out, and beyond the money being raised for him, people that will be there to welcome him and his family. And you think about that being from an NFL fandom All the way across the globe, it's it's it it reminds us, despite a lot of the flaws in sports and some of the things that are so frustrating, that there are these incredible ties and the idea that this, you know, Tennessee Titans all the way out in German-speaking countries of Europe uh, would be a safe haven is really cool.
1: And for everything that uh, we all know is difficult about social media at times, so much of these connections come from social media and fandom where people get to know each other. Uh, whether it's through Twitter or through any of these booster clubs for different fans, to see them all all work together globally uh, in the name of their team to help each other, it it is a, a rare moment to smile through this entire process.